good to be back in God's presence of these people and amongst the, the assembly here and I look forward to sharing the word this morning and um, because I do want to just reflect upon a couple of things regarding the trip because it was, um, well Barbara organised it all, I just left things in her hands and so I, I just did what she told me needed to be done and where I needed to go and all the rest of it and so um, so yeah, so travelling through Europe was quite interesting, to, to say the least. And so there was lots of different things that uh, uh, we looked at, tours, because, you know, there's a whole history that surrounds Europe, right? I mean, Australia's 200 years old, like seriously. <laughs> and so we're, we're still in nappies uh, as a nation. And so, um, you know, when you look at the historical aspects of... Um, uh, of uh, throughout the world, and we know biblically, obviously, for the most part. But still, when you go to Europe and just identify those aspects, it uh, for, you know for the first time as I did, um, I, that was interesting because what you find yourself doing is you filter everything through the Bible, and so you end up like saying, "Oh yeah, I can," you know, and this and that, and whether it's a city, whether it's a um, uh, a kingdom, whether it's um, a, a, a king or, or whatever the case may be. It just goes on and on and on. And so uh, just the amount of idolatry that surrounds not just, you know, not, I'm not just talking about Roman Catholicism, but just so much of what is um, uh, historical that relates to the various kingdoms. Because, you know, you're dealing with Rome and Greece, and um, and then uh, that's prominent. But then you know, obviously, I didn't go to other places. But then you you realise and you begin to make all the identification of the the, the strains that really they trace them back to, you know, that from the it's exactly as the Bible says, Babylon, and then from Babylon, you know, to the Media uh, Persia Empire, the Medes, and then down to the Greeks and to the Roman, and you see these things, and they're so prominent. And you begin to connect the dots of all the scriptures. And so in that instance, I found it quite interesting and, uh, uh, and painful at times because you find yourself agitated and irritated and um, <laughs> Barbara's smiling. But, uh, you know, and you think, gosh, uh, you just, uh, there's all kinds of internal reactions and thoughts that, uh, that transpire, at least in me anyway, you know. And so I filtered so much through the scriptures and so Europe is steeply um, um, steeped in history. It's steeped in religious religion, uh, superstition, idolatry everywhere, and the evidence of God's judgment upon kingdoms, cities, lives, you name it. Everything is there, and it has some, some uh, biblical significance. And so, like I said, idolatry. Dating back to not just uh, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years even, and you see it all, still signs of these things that are evidenced uh, in, amongst all of this. And so obviously you see the remains, or you know, not the remains, but you see the influences of Roman Catholicism that are there. And when you begin to just see and identify all this, uh, you, how can Christians be wanting to you know, uh, the ecumenical aspect of uh, wanting to join together and unify with these things when they've corrupted Christianity to the core. But 
it's just interesting to see and identify all of these various things. And I want to just say all of that to kind of lead into what I'm saying, because I'm going to share a bit of a little bit of a different message, because I want to share what God ministered to me, and I just want to share it with you uh, in that context, uh, and because it, it challenged me, and I pray it challenges you this morning. But let me just share some other aspects that I found notable. Um, in, we were in Amsterdam, and Barbara, you know, and again, you, you, you're identifying with the Holocaust, and, you know, we saw Corey Temboon and, um, and, you know, just the whole story of that and all the rest of it. And so we went on this tour and uh, uh, regarding the Jews and just the uh, persecution that took place there in Amsterdam during that time of Hitler. And, uh, and then in, in it, they incorporated a, a t- uh, to go into the, what was an old synagogue. And so it was interesting because we went in in this big building and it was interesting and Barbara was the one that pointed it out to me. And, um, and it was so noticeable because, if, I mean, we didn't, you know, you see churches everywhere and we don't go into, you know, everyone's lining up to go in there and I'm like, no way am I stepping foot in there. But you see outside and just everywhere, everywhere is just saturated with idolatry. And yet when we were in this big uh, building that had been constructed where they would, where the Jews would come together, it was a synagogue, and what was the thing that we noted, and Barbara noted and brought it to my attention, is that there was not one symbol, not one idol, not one uh, image. There was nothing that there to kind of represent worship as you find in, in you know, a lot of the modern um, um, uh, Roman Catholicism and, and also other things that relate, you know, whether it's Greek Orthodox or even um, some of the other stuff that's out there. There's just nothing and that was interesting because there's nothing to look at. There's nothing to see. All that they did was they came together and they had a, rise, a platform that was risen. And so obviously someone would uh, get up and he would uh, you know, share and speak the word of God. But they, that's how, and you can see the influences of the, uh, the law of Moses and how to worship being influenced in their worship as compared to the idolatry that saturates so much other, other things in terms of Western and Eastern religion and so forth and everything that goes back. You do a tour, everything is related to idolatry. It's just, it's crazy. And so what was also interesting is that we were... Um, we would do, Barbara had organised a tour of the city of the uh, ancient city of Rome, and in this, they had dug it up, and there was all these remains. They're still standing, they'd, as they've uh, uh, excavated it all out and all the rest of it. And this lady's taking us through, and and she's showing us all the various temples that were there in that time uh, uh, of this uh, of Caesar and, and the establishment of the city of Rome. And you've got to remember, because this predates Christ, right? And so, and so, anyways, so if a person wanted to, um, you know, if, if there was something to do with prosperity, they would go to this temple. If something to do with healing or health, they'd go to this temple and offer this. And if it was something to do with whatever, pr- prosperity, work, promote, you name it, everything had an altar. Everything had a temple that you would go to. And what I found interesting was this, is that the lady that's doing the tour, she's not a Christian, that becomes evident. But she understands something. 
And she's, understand, she's talking about how Rome were infatuated with all the gods of the Greeks. And so once they, when, they, when the Roman Empire conquered, they just took all the Greek gods and then they set them up in their own uh, here in the city and, um, and they copied them and they just repackaged them. That was her words. And then she said, then obviously um, Constantine came and then he conquered and then he, uh, he established, you know, the uh, the what the Christianity as the as the, uh, the the main religion, and she said what they began to introduce was they replaced these temples, and now according to her words now they had saints. So if you wanted to have a particular need, you'd go to this saint. If you had a particular need, you'd go to this saint. If you had a particular need, you... and I thought this is, ex-. and she was explaining it like that, and how all of these things are repackaged into Roman Catholicism, and and we understand because all those practices of Roman Catholicism, whether it's Mary or whether it's the saints, so-called so-called saints that you go to pray for for particular needs, it's found in Eastern Orthodox religion too. It's all nonsense. It's all idolatry. It's everywhere. Saturating. And so I found that, again, quite interesting to note some of these things. And so I, I share these as a, as, as, uh, to just kind of paint an overview of my thinking and some of my experiences. And, and in the end, what uh, I felt the Lord was, well, what the Lord was speaking to my heart. I remember also that Barbara, we were, now we were in Greece and Barbara had organised this tour of the Acropolis. And so, you know, the, the Pantheon where all the, the Greek gods and the goddess of Athena and, uh, you know, uh, where we find Athens. And so anyways, you know, uh, I'll cut a long story here. This, I was, these things are painful for me and uh, because they, I get irritated I really do. I have to be honest with you. They get under my skin. And so um, as I'm there and I, I, I disconnect in, some, in certain ways from certain things, and then all of a sudden I realise, it's funny because what happened is we came out of the Acropolis and I was ready to get out. I just wanted to go. And then um, there was, I said to Bob, look at that mount there. And there was this, this, this rock. And so and there were people there. And I was like, I don't know what it is. doesn't matter. We've done it. We can get out of here. So we left. And then I, I, I was just out of curiosity, I, I looked up um, Paul when he preached at, uh, at, um, in Athens, and I realized that that was the spot that I just, that I, and I said, That's, I'm going back for that. <laughs> and so we had to track all our way back from where our motel, and so, because we wanted, I uh, wanted to go there, because that's where Paul, when he was in Athens, and he was, uh, um, the, uh, we'll look at the scripture in a moment, but it was there where they, they took him to the Areopagus, and it was there that he preached and his sermon to the unknown God. Because Paul would have seen the Acropolis in its, in its glory, whatever glory that was, but in its heyday, and all that was surrounded there, and they brought him, the leaders brought him to this spot that was just steps away really from the Acropolis, and he preached that message. And so I found that. So we went up there and, and uh, you know, there's no remains there. It's just a, a, a rock face, you know, that uh, you, you can stand on. But you know that that's where the, the Areopagus building was. And that's where Paul preached. And so that was that. So 
as we were concluding our trip, and this was these some of the things that were going on in my mind as I was pondering them. I was on the plane and I was thinking, okay, you know, what can I, what am I going to preach? Where am I heading on a few things? And I just felt quickened on this because, you know, when Paul was in Athens, the Bible says that he uh, he was provoked in his spirit. And so there were two words as I, because I read Acts 17 and I just refreshed myself with it again. And I also read Acts 18. And there were two words that jumped out in the scripture. And we're going to look at them and we're going to contrast them. And we're just going to uh, look at them in their context. Because they're two expressions that the scripture uses. And they communicate a completely different dynamic. But they both work in conjunction as we will identify. And so I want to share that with you and allow God to speak to us in the same way. We see here in the scriptures. And so look at Acts chapter 17. And we'll read from verse, just one verse there, verse 16. So Paul, he's, he, he's, um, he's, you know, he's, he's been in Thessalonica from chapter 17. He's moved across because of the persecution. He's moved over to Berea. There they were more fair-minded in that they... Uh, you know, they examined the word to prove the things that Paul was saying. And then uh, Paul is obviously here in Athens and he's waiting um, for um, Silas and Timothy, I think it is. And so it says in verse 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now note those words. His spirit was provoked when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now look at chapter 18, and I want you to look at verse number uh, um, 5. And now Paul is at Corinth now, having departed from Athens, and while he's there, uh, Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy, whom he'd been waiting for, they come to him from Macedonia. It says, so it says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I want you to knock into those words, provoked in his spirit and compelled by the Spirit. And so you note that there's a distinction here. There's a clear distinction. And I want to look at those words biblically, provoked and compelled, because they teach us something about the dynamics of our witness for the Lord and how we go about preaching the gospel and how God works in us and how circumstances work uh, 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 amongst us. And so I want to look at the context and make an application to our lives. Now let's look firstly at the context of this word provoked. Because the Bible says that Paul saw that Athens was given over to idols. He saw that it was just everywhere. I mean it's everywhere. And so he was provoked in his spirit. Now notice those words. He was provoked in his spirit, the external idols and the circumstances was working and having an internal effect upon Paul. He was reacting to what he was seeing. He was provoked in his own spirit. 
And so if you consider that and then you consider the word compelled, uh, it is, again, this is, this is contrasted because it, in, it says compel, in the second instance he was compelled by the Spirit. So one, he is provoked in his own spirit. In the second instance, he's compelled by the Spirit to testify. One was an internal this prompting was internal, the being compelled by the Spirit, and the, uh, the, the, the first aspect was external, that it was provoking him. And so let's look at this word provoked in the, the Greek, because it does bring us an interesting understanding of what the Scripture is trying to teach us. You see, when we're passionate for God, when we're zealous for the things of God, when we are, when we are fixed and focused on truth and upholding the truth and passionate about these things as Paul the Apostle was, you can see it in his letters and throughout the Scripture, when we confront error or things that are wrong and not right, there's an internal reaction to some of these things. Have you, have you ever had that? Where you just, it just rubs against the grain, where you just internally, it's just like it's provoked you in your spirit. And so this is what happens to us when we are passionate and zealous about the things of God, about truth and upholding the truth of God's word. And like I said, I felt provoked on many occasions personally by the various circumstances and situations. Now that word provoked in the Greek is interesting because it means this. It means to sharpen alongside, to exasperate. Now think about that because the circumstances are such that there is an exasperation. There's a sharpening alongside. That means that word literally means to make sharp, to sharpen, to stimulate, to irritate, to provoke, to despise, to make angry, to burn with anger. And Paul was provoked in his spirit. And so these things are noble responses. You know, the Bible says be angry, but what? Don't sin, right? Anger is nothing, to be angry is not a bad thing. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's, it's the appropriate response. It's required. Excuse me, just knock that. And so Paul was reacting to the idolatrous practices of the Greeks in, in Athens. And as a result of that provocation, he began to preach to them a message that we find here in, the ch in chapter 17 in which he preaches to uh, them and he talks about how he found an altar with the inscription to, an, to the unknown God. And he says, you know what, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. So he witnessed to the Jews, the Bible says. He witnessed to the Gentile worshippers, the Bible tells us. He began to, uh, to, to witness in, in the marketplaces. In other words, he couldn't keep his mouth shut because he was provoked in his spirit. He couldn't just remain silent. He couldn't just, you know, have the silent witness. It was interesting. I was visiting a church, actually, with Martin Ed, uh, where Martin Edmund uh, tends with uh, a pastor there. And it's just, this, uh, well, it was, it was full because a lot of tourists were there at that time. But what was interesting, they said the church has been here for like 25 years. And the past, first pastor was there for, for 15 years. And he says um, they had, he'd won one convert in 15 years. And he said uh, one, of the issue, one of the things that they identified was that he practiced friendship evangelism. <laughs> okay? And in other words, they were making the point that he, he refrained from preaching Christ. 
and he would concentrate on building friendships. And I understand that there's place for that, don't get me wrong, but that's not what God's called us to do. If we're working in close proximity with our workmates or family, we're required to do some of those things. But generally speaking, we, we are told to go and preach the gospel. And so that's the method that we have to take. And so Paul was provoked in his spirit. So he gets up and he begins to preach and to preach and to bear witness, a witness to the Jews and the Gentiles. In the marketplaces, the Bible says, daily he began to be there in verse 17. It says, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Now, this was before they took him up because once he began to witness, that was when he got the attention of, of some of these folk. And so they said, oh, look, how about you come with us and we'll take you to this place and you can, you can talk. And it was there that they took him up to the Arapagos, whatever you call it. And uh, it was there that um, he preached this message that we, we find in chapter 17. And so the question is, to us this morning is, can we be provoked in our spirit? Can we, are we provoked in our spirit? And I say this in, in a good way, okay? In the, in, the, in, the, in the sense of the truth, the true way in which the scripture would speak of it. Because we've got to ask ourselves, can you be provoked in your spirit when you look at the world around you and the lies and the idolatry and everything that is so wrong? Because if we can't be provoked in our spirit this morning, then I would I submit to you and I, then there's something wrong. We can't just, when I say there's something wrong, well, if a Christian is passionate and zealous about the things of God, they're generally easily provoked. Isn't that true? Because we can't, when we become intolerant of certain things, especially when it's error, especially when it's an offence to God, especially when it's wrong. And so if we cannot be provoked in our spirit this morning, then the question must be asked, well, have I become complacent? Have I become indifferent to, to God's word? Have I compromised? Have I become apathetic? That I'm not moved when I should be moved, when I should be provoked by some of those things? Because the Bible tells us that, uh, that the, the, not to remain silent, but we are to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, we're to speak up. In other words, we're to say something, not to just have a silent witness, unless directed of the Lord specifically, and that can happen for some particular reason. But generally speaking, this is how it works. And so we have to examine our hearts if we, if we, if we can't be provoked. That means our spiritual senses have been dulled. It means that somehow maybe we're too comfortable and at home in the world. Maybe that we've compromised our Christian life so much so and our spiritual sensitivities need to be awakened. Maybe. But these are the things we have to examine ourselves on because we need to be able, like Paul, to be provoked in our spirits when we look at what goes on around us. That we need to be stimulated. We need to... Be irritated sometimes. We need to be sharpened. And may I say, I mean, sometimes we need to be angry. Now you're all saying, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, settle down. Okay, actually, I'm going to use an illustration, right? <laughs> Maybe Jesus in the temple. 
But, you know, Jesus was provoked. When he went into the temple and saw that they had corrupted the temple and selling and they were merchandising and he knew what the, he was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. I mean, Jesus was, he was so provoked that he, he began to, he made a whip of cords, he got, began to turn over the tables and he began to drive out the money changers. Now, you think about that. I mean, that is like an extreme action. And I'm not suggesting that we follow those footsteps, right? In fact, if you look at Paul the Apostle, let me say this. I'm I'm illustrating it by using Jesus, but let's go back to the text. Paul's, even though Paul's provoked in his spirit, if you read his response, he's calculated, he's measured, and he uses wisdom in how he approaches and preaches the gospel to those Greeks. Because he could have gone there and say, "Ah, oh, yes, this and that, and you know, whatever," and been obnoxious and 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 you know, just think that he's doing God's service by, by you know, that's what happens sometimes. I've seen that over the years. Street preachers, you know, they think they're they're, they're abusing everybody, and they think, and they're all yelling at him. They're going, "See, they're all got this indignation." <laughs> now you're just being a ding dong, you know, like you're provoking them. Now, the truth will always provoke, but you can understand the point I'm making because Paul, when he preached, he was very measured and calculated and he used wisdom even though he was provoked in his spirit because he wanted to connect, he wanted to communicate and that's exactly what he did. And so we can balance and see those things there in the scripture. Now, We need to learn to be provoked in our spirit. Now, let's come to this second word that we mentioned. It's the word compelled. This is different because now it says that that Paul was, in Acts 18, he was compelled by the spirit, compelled by the spirit. First, provoked in his spirit was external. That was causing an internal response. In this instance, it's an internal that's causing an external response. So it's internal. He's being compelled by the Spirit. Now, it's not his Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's compelling him, that's motivating him, that's moving him to act and do something in this instance. And so this is where we find that he he was compelled by the Holy Spirit and he testified to those around him about the gospel. Now, this word compelled is actually quite interesting as I studied it and looked it through. And so it's interesting because it means to hold together, to compress or to arrest. It means that you become confined because, uh, you know, it's like you're captivated, you're captive. Because Paul was compelled by the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit had got a hold of Paul and said, this is what you're going to do. And he was compelled to do it. He had to do it because the Spirit was telling him. And so this compelling is interesting and he was held by that. He couldn't disobey God. He had to speak as the Spirit was moving him and speaking to him. That means that when the King James said there's words that are used, but there's, there's constraint. It means to keep, to hold, to press. Now, what's interesting, as I studied this word a little bit further, I realized it comes from two Greek words. Now, this is, listen to this, because it gives us greater insight and understanding to this word compelled. Now, this word in the Greek comes from two Greek words, and, the, it, and so the, 
The Greek word is, um, I don't even know how to say it, I'll say it in the English language. <laughs> Maybe uh, Sam can correct it or say it, but saneko, how do you say that, Sam? Saneko. So san is the first word, and echo is the second word. Yeah. And so sing meaning, is in the English word, where we get the word sink, it means union, right? So it means a, a, not just union, but it also means possession. So Paul is compelled, he's constrained, he's arrested, he's controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the second word is echo, and that is interesting because it means to hold such as a possession. And so in the Greek dictionary it says this, to have in the hand, in the sense of wearing, to have hold possession of the mind to own. And so the Holy Spirit owned Paul. Paul said, didn't he? He said, my life is not my own. And so he talks about this and he's, he's being compelled. And the Holy Spirit who has possession of Paul, he is able to be compelled in his spirit and he obeys God and begins to testify. And so can we relate to this? Do we know what it means to be compelled by the Spirit? Because if, we, if, if the Spirit has possession of us, if the Spirit is Lord, so to speak, if, the Spirit is, if we're filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, then we at times too will be compelled by the Spirit to speak. God also, not, it's not your reaction, which is where Paul was provoked in his spirit previously, which has its place and context, but now this is being compelled by the Spirit. And if you're being compelled by the Spirit, then you've got to do it, right? You've got to obey God. And Paul was able to uh, be a vessel because he was the possession of God. God had control of him. To, and this is the word. He was in union with God. He was the possession of God as God's mouthpiece. And so as God moved him in particular direction to do certain things, Paul was obedient and he was a vessel for God. Isn't that what we would love to be? God, I could, I could be compelled and be moved by the Holy Spirit in such a way. You know, let me illustrate this a little bit further. As I, 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 from my previous studies, I remember studying this years ago and coming across it. And then as I was looking at this word compel, this came to my mind. So you know the story of Gideon? in the Bible, in the Old Testament, right? Now, you know, Gideon, that mighty man of valor that God was going to use to, just, um, to gain a victory over the Midianites. And so what's interesting is in ch verse, oh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 34, as he's about to go and execute God's judgment, the Bible says, a spirit, in, in the New King James, it says, in my Bible, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now, you read that, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Okay, that's great. But there's actually another dimension to this, to what the scripture is saying. Now, in the, uh, in the complete Jewish Bible, it says the Spirit of the Lord covered Gideon. In other words, if you look at this in the Hebrew, and you look at this Hebrew word lebesh, it means to wrap around, to clothe, to wear. And so in other words, the Spirit took possession of Gideon. 
and Gideon became, and the hand of the Lord was upon him. He was compelled by God to go out and to, uh, and to execute the judgment at that moment, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But you see, the Spirit of God wrapped around him because he, Gideon became the vessel. He became the possession of God, and the Spirit of God was upon him. And this captures the word compelled. This is exactly what's happening to Paul in Acts 18 when it says that he was compelled by the Spirit to testify. And he was able to be moved by God in such a way. And so I found it interesting as I was pondering this, the contrast because each is true, and each has its context. In fact, I heard recently of somebody that uh, said that Paul was in error in going to Athens. That there's a there's a there's a group that teach that, an individual. And I thought to myself, and this is funny because I'd already this was only a few days ago, in fact, and I had already determined that I was going to preach on this text because I'd never heard that before. I don't know if you have. I've heard a lot of things, but I haven't heard that. And so Paul was in error. But you see, Paul, the Bible's recording for us, and this provoking in Paul's spirit was, is, is an honourable thing. It's to be noted, because that's why I say, we need to be provoked in our spirit at times. And not only that, in other instances, we need to be able to be compelled by the spirit. You know, that means you're going to speak God's word at a given moment and a given point in time when prompted to and God, because you're going to obey God. But I don't know, I'm scared. That's, why we have the, that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit's about. It's about power to be witnesses. It's about boldness. It's about standing up for the truth and declaring it and calling out error or whatever is required or necessary at a particular point in time. And so I asked the question of us all this morning, can the Spirit take possession of us? Do we know what it is to be compelled by the Spirit? Are we full of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit? Because we must, like Paul, be able to be compelled by the Holy Spirit. And again, if we, if we don't know what that means, I ask the question, how much possession does the Spirit have of me? How much possession does the Spirit have of me? How many times have you felt prompted by the Spirit to speak up and you didn't? We've all done it, let's be honest. And this is about learning to, uh, to follow the, the, that compulsion, that compelling. And God says, now, do it. And we've got to say something. Because it's the spirit that's compelling us in that instance. I know we sometimes we think it's God and sometimes it's the flesh and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But we're dealing with the idealists here, what scripture is teaching us and showing us. And so, as I said earlier, even when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this was, it was about to, it, the whole purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to have, receive power to be what? Witnesses. I mean, Peter, here he was denying Christ, and now, on the day after he's filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he's there boldly preaching Christ. He's compelled by the Spirit. The Spirit has possession of him. And he stands up and he boldly preaches. That's the dynamic. That's what we need. We need to be 
We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need the baptism of the Spirit to have the power of the Spirit to be a witness. Remember in Acts 4, they were under threat and there was the threat of persecution and they were feeling that and the, the natural tendency of the flesh is to withdraw. Fear maybe, who knows? But they sought God and they prayed and they prayed for boldness and the Bible says that the Spirit of God flooded that place and this place was shaken and they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. That's what we need, boldness. Not to be timid, not to be ashamed. You know, there might be, there's going to be a reproach. You might lose some so-called friends. I don't know, but you know what's more important? It's about standing up for the truth. It's about being compelled by God to speak and speak with boldness because that's what the whole purpose of the, of the baptism of the Spirit is. So God help us this morning in these areas as we consider these things. You know, I just want to conclude with a final thought. The Bible tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. And in, in, in 2 Corinthians it says, As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is the gospel that we are to preach. We are God's representatives. We are God's voice. And so as though God pleads through us. So if we refrain from speaking, if we don't allow ourselves to be compelled or provoked in these instances, in, this, in these contexts, then how can we bear witness and testify and preach the gospel as, as God would require us this morning? And so it, the Bible says in both instances, and I conclude with this, Look at the, uh, at the end in chapter 17, after Paul being provoked in his spirit and preaches the gospel. It says in verse 34, it says, However, some men joined him and believed. Among them was Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, it wasn't large numbers. We don't get the impression that there was, you know, 3,000 saved. But there, were, there was a, a number of folks that had responded to, that, to Paul having been provoked in his spirit and preaching Christ. And again, having been compelled in chapter 18, look at the outcome. To so he was compelled by the Spirit to testify. And so he testifies to the Jews and they reject him. Now, look at verse 6 of chapter 18. It says, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. He's clean. You know why he's clean? Because he obeyed God. He did what God wanted him to do. And he said, I've done my part. You're responsible for the response. You're responsible. The blood is on your own hands. From now on, he says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and he entered the house of certain men named Justice who worshipped God. And he was next door to the synagogue. And then it says, look at verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord. So here it is. Now we're seeing the fruit of this. So here it is. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, gets saved. He believes on the Lord, look, with all his household. This is in, in Corinth. 
and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. And that's the fruit. And so if we, if we will preach, if, if we will follow through, whether it's being provoked in our spirit and uh, it's a hum, you know, an initiative, because at the end of the day, let's not over-spiritualize things. The Spirit told me to do it. Well, maybe the Spirit did, because clearly we see what being compelled is. But sometimes it's just, you know what, I made a decision. I made a decision to speak up. Now, you might have been right or wrong, I don't know, but we'll just have to wait on that one. But, but you can see here how we look at these aspects and how we can contrast the two and how they both work into the plan and purpose and will of God. And so let us this morning understand what it means to be provoked in our spirit, what it means to be compelled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And let us, amen, preach the gospel, testify of Christ, And, oh, God, let us see people added and saved, delivered and healed. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for your word, Lord, that's so rich. Lord, that that reveals to us so much. God, I pray that we would be characterized by these two uh, uh, aspects, Lord, of what it means to be provoked in, in our spirit and compelled by the Holy Spirit. God, have possession of our lives. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought at a price. And Lord, uh, we are crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, Lord God, I pray that we would uh, be those vessels, that we would obey the command to go into the world and preach, that we would, Lord, obey the prompting of the Spirit and and I pray above all things, God, use, these, use us as earthen vessels, Lord, to accomplish your great plan and your great purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you this morning.